welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to episode 94 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hi, it's King Scott. Oh, why so glum? I'm just looking at it. We're, we're getting old for 94 episodes that's now. That's right. That's right. I got to start sending a bunch of messages to people to scratch our back and make us uh, request compliments for our episode 100. Tell a bunch of people we're to gonna, say hi and you know pop in for an episode. They're going to send us an AARP registration <laughs> here soon. <laughs> uh, what's been happening, King? Oh, just traveling around once again, taking some games, trying to get some games in here and there. And uh, hey, just looking at everything here, right now is the time of year with spring. You see things growing. You see things coming back to life. And all you're doing is just, at least for me, sitting there and watching the clock tick ever closer to whenever you're ready to claw your eyes out from the allergies. (laughs) Any cool rolls lately? Ah, nothing really. Same old work and everything going on right now, but I am going to be doing a thing for a a special needs camp in Michigan. They somehow tracked me down and I'm playing Clayton from Disney's Tarzan. I did that actually in the musical. Somehow they tracked me down. How they did, I don't know. I'm either creeped out or i'm very honored i don't know how to feel about it just yet <laughs> i remember you talking about this for uh, level up a couple episodes back that is kind of cool so for uh, for adventures that don't know what you do is you'll go to places that that okay like i'm a nursing student right and we need somebody mm-hmm. who's got a broken arm they'll hire yep. an actor to come in and like you know They'll, they'll give you some makeup around the eye that got punched. And you basically, you have to be that character, the, the broken armor, or exhibit yes. the symptoms. You do things with like children and youth services and, and, and like, you know, all, all sorts of things where the professionals are going to have to interact with people that have various conditions or injuries, ailments. You've got to be that, that guy. Yes, very true. Uh, what was it? One day I actually, oh, geez, what was it? I had a broken knuckle, I had a broken elbow, a broken wrist, glass shoved in one side of my arm, and it was just like they would come in and like wipe off one thing and then put on another bruise Mm. or stick another piece of glass in my arm. So (laughs) it was uh, quite an interesting day. Uh, I can't even imagine. It's got to be interesting doing something something unique and different with each day. So that's kind of cool. Yes, that it is. You know, not a whole lot of things to go over for uh, for updates, but I did notice uh, Arcane Wonders has Call of Duty, the board game coming out. Monster Hunter World is coming to GameFound, and I thought, man, there are a lot of video game IP board games being made lately. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like the next stone being overturned in board game. Not that there haven't always been them. I mean, we have two versions of Doom and whatnot, but it seems like in the last two three years, man, every big video game franchise is getting a tabletop game. What was it? Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I think it was as mm-hmm. well. Dark Souls. That one there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's interesting to see how these are going to turn out because you know what? So far, none of them have actually, I don't think any of them have actually cracked the top 100. Yeah, it's it's one of those that you see a lot of flash and panache with it, but a lot of times they don't really give you a great gaming experience with all the miniatures and everything. 
And maybe when they do, you've got to uh, you've got to be a fan of the video game franchise as well. Like me, yes, you know, yes. I might really, really like, uh, I don't know, we'll say Horizon Zero Dawn, but I never played the video game. So like the whole world, a lot of the little Easter eggs in the game, I, I would just totally miss. Maybe that's a factor. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like they're making a game for a niche audience, hoping that it will grow something. But uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to tell. Well, it'll be interesting to see how those two campaigns turn out. I saw another one coming out. The Gloomhaven RPG. Role-playing game for Gloomhaven. Get this. Base game has 200 miniatures. Oh, God. Talk about miniatures. Wow. Mm-hmm. You get all the expansions for this thing? 600. What? Yep. 600. <laughs> Dude. The poor guy from FedEx, uh, like, gonna have to wear a back brace to get that to your door. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, this isn't in the uh, classic old days of miniatures, whenever all miniatures were pewter. Mm. That would have been mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you could take it to the scrapyard and get 40 bucks on your on your minis. Uh, let's get right on with it, man. We've got a lot to talk about. A lot of recent plays. We're actually going to uh, we're going to skip a discussion today because we have so many recent plays. Yeah, that we do. So definitely, uh, you want to take it off sure, first? Sure, sure. You know what? Mine are both games that you've played too. So if you want to contribute or pop in or however okay. we want to do it. Okay, great. Let's start here. I want to talk about a 2022 game from Lucky Duck. This is uh, uh, called My Shelfie. My Shelfie. So oh, yes. Uh, let's start with addressing the term Shelfie. Yeah, adventurers, you're gamers. I'm sure you're well aware of what a Shelfie is. But for those of you who aren't, the idea is like, okay, a selfie. You take a picture of yourself. You post it. Oh, that's a selfie. Shelfie is the same thing, but it's with your board game shelf. It's your shelf of games. You're proud of it. You take that picture. You post it on one of the board gaming groups that you're a part of. And voila, that's a shelfie. There you go. Okay, so enter this game for two to four players. And my shelfie plays in about a half. It plays in about a half hour. The object of the game is to fill out your shelf according to your personal goal card, which shows a five by five grid and the various spots on the grid where you need to have certain things like a book. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. say on the bottom row, second column, and a trophy in the very middle, that sort of thing. Plus, there are community goal cards, which are like the first person to achieve this gets the most points, then the second person gets fewer, and so on. Now, the grid that you're filling in, the shelf, uh, is a 5 by 5 grid that's made out of plastic, and it stands up. Think like Connect 4, how you drop the chips in. This one, you actually, you're dropping tiles into this shelf unit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So where do they come from? The tiles, that is. The living room. Uh, The center of the table houses the (laughs) living room board, which uh, it basically holds all of the tiles. And on your turn, on a player turn, you get some tiles, you drop them into your shelf grid, and then on to the next player. And when someone completes their shelf, you finish the round, game ends, boom. Now, there's a couple of things that make my shelfie, uh, we'll say what it does to make it a little bit more of an interesting game, a little more gamey. Namely, uh, two things. One, when you're selecting tiles, you can choose up to three but they got to be in a straight line in that living room and they each need to have at least one side that has an open border. Like when you start picking, none of them can be boxed in on all four sides by other tiles. Right. And you can't go on a diagonal. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, good. I was going to say that that was the one part that I could not wrap my head around. You're saying it has to be open on a side and I'm looking at it and you guys are all picking up on it. And I'm just feeling like I'm at a point of like, a really, really bad practical joke on me because I was not figuring that out. But yeah, once you did, it came completely clear and really it's so simple to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
How about this? When you select tiles, they all have to go in the same column. So mm-hmm. while intuition might tell you that grabbing three tiles at a time is the way to go, it's not always the right play because you want to make sure. That, and oftentimes it's going to come down to what those those community goals are. Like ours, ours wanted to see you have like three groups of four. Uh, a group yeah. being like tiles that are touching that are the same thing. Oh, look, I have uh, three, uh, four books next to each other. That's one of my groups of four. Oh, if I get a trophy over here, that'll be the third one. I'll be really close to get my next one, right? So for us, grabbing three at a time, that really threw a wrench in the whole getting through. Or it did mm-hmm. for me anyway. I got my butt kicked. But it, it threw a wrench into how many tiles I want to take. Because like, well, I want three tiles. doesn't feel right not to go for three. I want to fill this thing up. <laughs> but... I also want to make my groups and there's nowhere that I can put these. It's going to make it work. Plus my card. Oh, there's quite a puzzle there. What'd you think of this one, Scott? My shelfie. Yeah, this was another one that was really kind of interesting because whenever you're playing it, you're like, oh, this is going to be really, really simple. I just boom, boom, boom. And then you throw in the whole thing. No, they have to be in the same column or the same row. And they have to be touching whenever you put them in there. And mm-hmm. it's not like you look at it like, oh, I could use this one, this one, and this one. Oh, they have to be together. Then that puts a whole nother twist on things. But it's one that doesn't make it impossible, but gives that little extra oomph that makes this game that much more fun to play Mm -hmm. because you really do need to stop and think about it and think where things are going to go and what's going to be the best thing to do i (laughs) whenever i'm trying to figure things out like okay now what is a game and what is a book and what's an (laughs) award and then i realized that the colors were all different on the back of them and i'm like i am such an idiot with this But no, it was a nice, friendly game to play. It was a fun puzzle to to get out and play. Mm -hmm. It's very, very inviting to play this game. Yeah, I think most casual gamers are going to pick up on it pretty easily. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely has a great presence. Seeing those shelves standing up on the table. Looks beautiful. And all I could see, uh, all I could think of was the old Connect 4 commercial with Pretty Sneaky Sis. (laughs) And I could not get that sentence out of my head, that entire play. Okay, so it's a light game for sure. Tile placement is the uh, the central mechanism. It's pleasant. I enjoyed it. It was easy to teach. Casuals can jump in. It's yep. a great game for like kicking off or ending your evening. I do have to say, my shelfie, right? That is going that that title. It's a board game about being a hobbyist in board games, right? That's that is a very unique thing to make a game yes. out of. So, who's this going to appeal to? gamers right the people that have 200 games in their basement neatly on shelves or whatever like that's Mm -hmm. who's going oh yeah this game it's really light like it's really light you know i I don't know that you know if we're if i'm having the gang over and we're gonna play arc nova you know you start getting all excited oh man it's arc nova day you don't have the movie going, yeah, man, it's gonna be, we're going to do some my shelfie it's not the uh the, (laughs) the the flagship game of the evening it's very easy for a casual gamer to play, for a non-gamer to play, but it's yes. my shelfie. Like, they can't relate to the theme of, I have hundreds of board games on my shelves. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 it strikes me as one of those, like, who are they trying to appeal to? Like, I guess 
It's for it's for your gamer gamers. Like Nikki's gonna love this game. She likes. I gather that she likes lighter games. She has folks over to her house for game day. Some of them quite casual. They'll instantly see. Oh, this this look at this shelf thing. This looks like Nikki's basement. I like it for that. I just think it's it's a very niche uh, niche title niche theme. Au contraire, mon frère. No, no, no. I disagree with you completely on this. Is that right? Yes. I think this is one that you could bring this out to your other friends and say, let's play a game. Let's play a game, My Shelfie. What's My Shelfie? Well, and you explain what a Shelfie is, where you have a shelf of games and you take a picture of it and show it. So that is your way to open up a conversation with people that aren't used to it about what hobby board gaming is and what you have at home and how you display them and everything. And then that would also, I think, would trigger an interest in them like, huh, I didn't know there was such a thing like this. I I need to look more into this. So I think it's not going to turn everybody into a hobby gamer, but it's going to be one of those things that piques the interest of a person that's not an actual big-time gamer. King, your chalice is always half full. Oh, yes it is. Yes it is. Hey, King, you remember we talked about Factory 42? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michelle as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code Level Up on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Grey Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with it, adventures. DDPGames.com. Click shop. Promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. All right, King, you're on the road. I know you've got to do a whole lot of solo lately. Tell me what you've been playing. Well, I actually got a Kickstarter in, and this is a game that I've been looking at for quite some time. I, I've been trying to find it. It's been out of print. And uh, one of my fraternity brothers, I actually have follow him on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and I saw he backed this game. And I'm like, oh, well, here's my chance. So I finally got my copy of Pocket Landship. Now, this was designed by Scott Allen Sizzy. C-Z-Y-S-Z. There isn't a vowel in that name. Scott Allen It was designed by Scott Allen. Don't know. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Scott Allen. We're going to just go with Scott Allen. Uh, And published by World Forge Games. 
So in this, you are in uh, an, an alternate history where you have this, it's during World War One, and you have this pocket land ship. Mm-hmm. You have a land ship. I mean, it's basically a tank. Okay. You have okay. a main cannon. You have the sponsons on the side of it. You have special abilities that pop up now and then, and you have a crew that can uh, fight on your on your tank as well. Okay. So you're facing down a different force against you. Now, they could be an infantry, they could be another tank, or I did say it's an alternate timeline, so there are mechs in this once once again. So what you do is you have your three cards in front of you, mm-hmm. your tank, your sponsons, and your main cannon. You roll a die for each one of those. Now then, on each one of these cards, you have a thing that goes along with each one of the die pips. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. So one might be you get stuck in the mud, you don't do anything. Two might be you get to repair one one health or one damage. Three, you get to do two damages against an infantry or one, one against a tank or a mech. All these different things that happen with that. All right. So you roll your dice, and then you do that against those cards that you have in front of you. Now, your enemy, there are nine cards. There are three rows of three cards. You only see the front row. So you take a look at what you can do. You do damage to it. You move the die totals on it and everything. Boom. Done. For the enemy, you roll the dice, and they go out sequentially from lowest to highest, from left to right. So you just automatically put those out there. Now, once again, they have the numbers on there as well. One through six, where one might be, it does two damage to you. Two might be something else. Three might be no action. All these different things that happen as well. Or it might be switch a position with it. Because some of your positions that you have with using the main cannon or the sponsons, you can only attack something on the left side Mm -hmm. or on the right side. So if that happens where you switch them around, you almost have something killed. Oh, it got switched. Now you have a fresh enemy on that side now. So you have to try and manipulate the dice the best that you can. This you can play easily in probably 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes tops. All right. And this was one of those games where I was really excited to get it. And I don't know... It's not that I really don't like it. It just didn't seem to scratch the itch I really wanted it to. Oh. I don't know what I was expecting. I still enjoy it, but it just, what my expectations were and what I got were a little bit different. I love having it with me. I love having that nice solo game with me. It was great. This past week, I was in Williamsport working, and I'm playing that, and the few other people with my group, they're playing code names. Mm-hmm. So some guy comes over, and he's like, oh, what games are you playing? He looks at uh, what they're playing with the code names, like, oh, this looks interesting. And then he looks at mine, and he's like, oh, that looks confusing. I'm just <laughs> going to go over here. It's not very confusing at all. It's very simple, very straightforward. You could really develop a story in your mind of what's going on and what's happening. It's not that expensive to get. It's a great thing to take with you if you're on your own a lot of times with traveling and stuff like that. Very easy to set up. Doesn't take a lot of room. But Pocket Landship, yeah, I would say definitely check it out. 
It didn't really meet my expectations, but it didn't fall very short of my expectations. Okay. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Now, anytime I'm playing a solo game, one of the things that comes up is how much of this is like there are story driven solo games. There are thinkers. Uh, think a game like Nemo's War. It's uh, uh-huh. boy, you're, you're calculating, right? It, it is a game. Oftentimes, especially in these smaller footprint games, there's well, there's dice in this. Uh, let's get right to the question. Would you say that this is a more of a luck-based game or a skill-based game? Well, I think that on the opponent's side, it's more luck-based. You roll the dice, you put them out, boom, that's it. Mm-hmm. Whenever you roll them for your side, <laughs> there sometimes you do have some dice mitigation where you can turn it up or down by one pip. Okay. Or you can do repair. You can maneuver the dice around to the three different uh, sections that you're on there. So it does give you more of a puzzle where you can plan a little bit and mitigate the dice totals to make the game work more for you. So you have the means of manipulating things. So it's not just like, oh, I'm at the mercy of my dice. Right. It's not like I roll them, I have to put them boom, 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 one, two, three. I have no choice as to where they go. You do have the choice of where they go. And then, like I said, with the one through six different things that happen on it, it gives you a little bit of an idea of how you want to play. Do you need to play defensive this turn in order to build up your health? Do you want to play more offensive and try and take something out completely? So you do have a little bit of uh, manipulation there in the game. That sounds cool. Pocket land ship. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll follow your solo game with my solo game. And I think this is one that you've played as well. Spires yes. and Hildegard. This comes from Greg Favreau. Favreau Ventures 2022 game. Uh, this is a choose-your-own-adventure game set in the Spires End universe featuring Hildegard, who you play as, who was apparently a character in the first Spire's End, which I haven't personally played the original, but Tiny Fred had some audio for us really early in the podcast life. Mm-hmm. It was back in, I think, episode 11, and it had me intrigued. A solo game, you just flip through the deck of cards. Fast forward a couple years, he got me hooked up with Spire's End Hildegarden. At this point, I've had the chance to play it a few times, and at least enough to share some thoughts. All right, you open up this box, which, for the record, this thing is produced beautifully. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love the look of it, the colors. I mean, it, it's right on. It feels deluxe for a small box game. The one thing I really do like it going on with the design here, the main colors are like gray, black, white, and orange. Yeah. But the nice thing about it is it takes place kind of in autumn. So the orange really makes the cards pop and really, really builds on the whole feel of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's It, it, it feels deluxe, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you're going to open up that box. You get a pretty brief rule book in which it explains how to resolve combat, which is really easy, by the way. And it gives you some simple terms to be aware of. And then you're basically off and running. And here's how it works. There's four chapters to play. Uh, ideally, you go in order and you start with the first chapter and then move on to the next. But you could pick any of them. You take out this big old stack of cards for that chapter, like a mm-hmm. hundred numbered cards. And you set it face down in front of you. There you go. Setup complete. To begin, you're going to notice that the first card simply says, uh, it's begin here and it says reveal one of the top three cards of the deck. And here's what we're going to do because it's so simple and so narrative based. Let's play a quick game for a couple minutes. You ready? Okay. Okay. So uh, we're going to pick the first card and it's card 111. And it says for the Baroness, you wake to the promise of adventure. A small package has been dropped off at your doorstep. Your first delivery. It's a hastily wrapped box with instructions. 
is to be delivered in pristine condition to the Baroness of Seacrest Glyphs. Gain three gold, which are just three little pieces uh, that, that are in mm-hmm. the box. Gain three gold and two feats of markmanship. Pull cards 88, 89, and 90. So we can go back into our deck here, 88, 89, and 90. And what do you know? There's Hildegard. That's your player card. That's your slingshot and pebbles. And that's the mysterious package. Each of them have a neat illustration. I mean, the illustrations in these are just fantastic. Oh, Not yeah. every card has them, but they're wonderful. And each thing has a, a little bit of flavor. So the package, you pick up the package and turn it over. It's wrapped in paper with some light markings here and there. You don't recognize them. As much as you would like to give it a shake, you don't. Well, not yet. Wonder if you'll ever know its contents? For now, it will remain a mystery. Place in your inventory. The slingshot is a weapon, and then Hildegard has little slots at the bottom where you put a health marker. Very, very simple. Then you have the option at the bottom of our very first card. It says, after pulling those cards, you choose card number eight for mercantile. You go to the shop first. Or card number two for breakfast. Okay, well, let's have breakfast. Ah, so we pull card number two, the Hungry Hog, and it's got a picture of the cabin with a pine tree in the background. It looks beautiful. Before embarking into the wild, you decide a hearty breakfast. The Hungry Hog is in order. You haven't eaten since yesterday, and your stomach is growling. Farfully, the barkeep, asks what you'll have. Dried fruit and nuts? Pull card number three. Porridge and coffee? Pull card four. Bread and buttermilk? Pull card five. Porridge and coffee! (laughs) Okay, last one. We're, we're going to humor this for one more. Ooh, All right. It's got a dude on it with some shades. Uh, it, it doesn't need a top hat going on. There's some autumn leaves falling around. Him. You slurp up the last of your porridge, down the rest of your coffee, and you pay up. Pay one gold for breakfast. You barely get out the door when a stout man with odd spectacles blocks your path. You're late. Get in the wagon. Play along. Go to card 12. Huh? I'm not doing that. Go to card 15. So you get the point and you do this to go through the entire deck of cards and eventually what will happen is you're either going to win or you're going to lose. Eventually you'll have encounters that require you to roll some dice to pass. And the dice system here, let's go over that real quick because it's fantastic. You're basically Mm -hmm. looking to get target symbols, a circle with a dot on the inside. And of the dice that you're rolling, you'll have certain numbers allocated. Not very many with the slingshot, but more as you find cooler and better items. You're going to have half targets, complete targets, just the dot or just the outer circle of the target. So you roll and it's Yahtzee style. You pick which ones you're going to keep and you re-roll the ones that you don't want. When you're done with your last roll, you compare how many completed target symbols you got versus how many you needed to see if you pass. Now, Mm -hmm. aside from the narrative, that's the primary decision to make in the game. Like our example there of which which breakfast you're going to have. Who knows? There's no wrong answer. It just takes the story in a different direction, right? It makes the deck replayable. You're not going to go through chapter one and be like, oh, oh, well, yes, you can continue the same decision paths. Oh, I only lost because I lost a combat. Uh, But if you manage to get really deep one way, you might say, you know what? I'm going to do the porridge and coffee this time, right? What I like. This is easy to set up and play. Like, I don't have to worry about sorting decks and organizing chips. I like that. The production. The art, while small, is so cool. Yes. We already said it. The color palette of this game, you get that army green, the burnt orange, the black, the white. I think the story's fun to play through. Uh, it's a bit unpredictable, and you just never know. You never know what can happen next. You ate breakfast. We did not know that the next card was going to say... Get in the wagon, right? (laughs) I died twice uh, in the first chapter before beating it, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't want a solo game to be easy. Uh, And when I die, I want to get that urge to play again immediately, which this certainly – You know what it does to me, though? I I do that thing where if I die in a combat, 
I'll fudge the rules to be like, I'm going to pretend like I won that combat. <laughs> I'm a solo game cheater. Uh, it's a ton of fun to play solo. It's marketed It's marketed one to two players, but really, and much like Nemo's War, so many solo games, or even Pocket Landships as one to two, this is a yep. solo game. It's got a really creative story that gets you into some wild adventure. The the incorporation of the items, the cards you keep, the NPCs, it's really clever. And, and frankly, I'm quite impressed considering that a chapter is a deck of cards with some cubes and some dice. Tell me, Scott, what did you think? Uh, I'd like to borrow this when you're traveling. Did you get mm-hmm. you, you had a chance to play it, I assume? Yeah, I did get a chance to play this, and I didn't go through a whole chapter, but I do appreciate what this is trying to do here with the uh, choose-your-own-adventure thing. The replayability is what gets me on this, because a lot of them you could play, like, I know uh, whenever you play Arkham Horror LCG. Mm -hmm. Now, this one here is known for all the mystery that builds up and how you play it and everything that goes on with this. You may have a total of maybe 15 cards that are going to be the areas that you go to and then you may have a deck of 25 cards that are the villains and things like that that happen this here each chapter it seems like it's got to be at least 75 if not more cards about 100 so you've got almost 400 cards here there's no possible way unless you're sitting here taking notes as to what trail you're taking that you're going to be able to remember all the way back what you did and what you need to change because you're going to die. And it's, let's just go back to the beginning and start over again. There's so, so much replayability in this game. Granted, it's going to be, once you get through it, you're, you're proud of yourself. You got through it and you're going to want to pass it along there. But the journey that you take in order to get through it is going to be very, very rewarding. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Tell you what, it's got mini games. Scott, that first chapter, I don't oh, know yes. if you hit one of the mini. So fishing, it tells you pull out yep. three different cards. What kind of bait are you using? That's what tells you how many dice you get. And depending on your roll, uh, you get to flip one card or two or all three. And each of the different fish have a different value as far as like <laughs> what they can do for you. Typically health. Did you by chance run into the uh, the, the scarecrow? Uh, I think I got up to the Scarecrow whenever I had to put it away. Okay. The Scarecrow, <laughs> look out. The Scarecrow is throwing corn missiles. All right. And <laughs> one of the cards is the Corn of Chaos Rules. This is a mini game that you hit in that first chapter. Layout cards 75, 97, and 76 as pictured below. So this card, whenever it tells you to pull card number 96, you read it and it tells you, here's how you set up this mini game. At the end of each of Hildegard's sets, turn card 97 counterclockwise starts with wild. Count each complete circulation of card 97 with a cube. So every time it completely circulates, you're going to add a cube and for each additional circulation, add a plus one in order to hit. The status effect listed will affect Hildegard's set. During your turn, you may opt to use any bullseye combination on your rolls on the Corn of Chaos. It cannot be removed after three bullseyes. The face-off ends when Hildegard or the Scarecrow is defeated. So you've got Hildegard on one side, Scarecrow on the other. Now, adventurers can't see this, but there's a Corn of Chaos card. And the four sides, Tame, Flub, Hit, Wild. There's corn in the middle, the autumn leaves on the outside. It's just, it's so creative and it's so clever. And the picture of the Scarecrow, the Scarecrow card is so cool. I yeah I mm-hmm. love this game. I, you know what? I asked you to bring it back because I gotta sell it and move it on. There's that scarecrow. I think I'm gonna keep on playing this thing. I want to get through all the chapters now. 
I could go on and on. Very cool game. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, thank you again, Fred, for the recommendation. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, keep your eyes out for that one, Adventures. Spires and Hildegard, based on the original Spires End from Favreau Games. I think I hear someone uh, out by the trash cans. Uh, there's a there's a knock at the door at the combat. Okay. Uh, uh, commercial, let's go figure it out. Yeah. One of the most popular games in the hobby and the oldest in the BGG Top 100 is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for Adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. Well, how about this, Scott? We've got uh, we've got a nice little pop in a visitor today. Yes, we do. I know it's it's one of those things we're kind of surprised here. We heard a knock on the door in the compound. It's like, does anyone really know the address here? The Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> oh. But no, Ryan, no, 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 it's today. Teacher Ryan. Yeah, I was taking the trash out, and I decided to pop on by. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing well. Doing well. It's been a good week playing a lot of games. Ryan, I know you are just a machine whenever it comes to playing games. We were just talking about some games we played recently. Have you played anything recently? I, and I know you got to say yes. I have. It's been a few weeks since I met up with you guys and talked about stuff. And um, I actually played quite a few games. But, uh, you know, just at this moment, I've been really on a huge kick uh, of the game that I have been anticipating for years. Ooh. Uh, yeah. So, Darwin's Did they come journey. out with a new edition of Tic-Tac-Toe? <laughs> <laughs> Tic-tac-toe, where every time you lose, you actually lose a toe. Yes, one of those. Ooh. Now, I heard what you said. Darwin's Journey. You were telling me last year, you're like, I already know what's going to be my favorite game next year. <laughs> well, that's bold. And I, I'll never forget it. It was Darwin's Journey. You got it? You've been playing it? I see people getting their Kickstarters in. I have. I have. So, so I've been playing this game for about two years, ever since it came onto Tabletop Simulator, and it was placed there by Thundergriff, so they knew it was coming. And on there, I taught it many times, and I already determined, yes, it was going to be in my like top five or top ten games of whatever time I get it. You could only play the base game, though, on Tabletop Simulator, so I was ready to dive into that mini expansion called Firewind that they were talking about, all the modules they were adding, all sorts of things, and it did not disappoint at all. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, the base game is pretty much a worker placement kind of game. You're getting 
you have these workers that you're placing out and each worker can be upgraded depending on mm-hmm. what kind of wax seals you have on them. So there's like red wax seals, which allows you to, uh, to add more wax seals onto your workers. There's blue wax seals and green wax seals, which lets you either move by land or by sea in the Galapagos Islands on another board at the bottom. And there's also yellow seals, which allows you to send letters. But at the same time, you're you're just researching specimens over on the Galapagos Islands and taking these specimens and delivering them and taking them to the museum. And that's where you're going to get a lot of money. It's going to get some reputation. You can also alter the kinds of actions that you can do. There's a place where you can add lenses to other actions to amplify them or make them better. For the most part, this is just my kind of game, like 100%. This is a worker placement point salady game. Uh, but the difference between a lot of other games that just have those recipes is the fact that this one also combos pretty much like a roll and write. Now, not huge, not huge at all much into roll and writes, but the comboing that this game does is incredible. There was, for example, there was a combo where I moved my ship and it let me place a tent and that tent let me put down uh, uh, or get a red uh, get a wax seal for a discount. I got that seal and that allowed me to play one of my cards. We had, I had completed all the seals that are on that card and that card let me move twice on the land. And so I moved twice on the land and I researched a specimen all in one turn, like just finding these combos and like putting this puzzle together to figure that out. That just made me, you know, just giggle with glee. It was, it, it's just an inhalation to be able to puzzle it out and look at this quite busy board to be able to pull off something like that. Mm. And I loved what the Firewind a- a expansion added as well. So um, the Firewind expansion, it, normally in the base game, you have like one ship that you're moving along the islands, and then you have like three islands that you place your person on to walk along. Uh, the Firewind expansion kind of makes it easier for you to do that. So it it makes the board seem a little bit busier. It really does. However, if you get to know the game well enough, you'll notice that there might be, in some people's opinions, a little bit of restriction when it comes to being able to get what you need done because your worker has to, or your your walking person needs to walk along the islands pretty far to get what you need. Uh, in mm-hmm. the Firewind expansion, they ex- uh, expanded out to be five different islands and three different places to place your boat. And so whenever you take those actions, you can choose whichever one you want. So you just look out to see what you want, and that's the worker that you move. And... Uh, it also adds uh, an element of time. So you can spend time to do some things, some actions and time at the end of the game. The more you spend, the less points you're going to have. And it's going to reduce your points, in fact. But if you manage your time correctly, you can get a lot of good benefits and not have to spend that many points at all. So, you know, all sorts of things to think about. Uh, there is also quite a few modules. I think there's about four or five modules, um, but I'm, I'm oh, probably... Smokes, my- there's game on top of game going on in here. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I-, I played this game already like four or five times since I got it, but I had to try these modules. I had to try this expansion. Honestly, as far as the Firewind expansion is concerned, I think that's not necessarily a must play, but like if I'm playing and I'm playing with somebody else who knows the game, I would rather play with the uh, mini expansion called Firewind that in- was included in the game. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the modules though, for example, the pirate module that adds a bit of take that to the game. Uh, so what I mean by that is there's an element where at the end of a round, any player in the same sector as the pirate ship has to give up two coins and they also have to give up more money based on how much treasure they picked up. Uh, which the pirate expansion also adds. So like that's a lot of money, any money that you can't spend. 
you lose in points. But at the same time, mm-hmm. money money is king in this game. It's very hard to come by in this game. So there's a lot of take that there. Uh, but in a two-player game, yeah, I don't think you would ever do that. Because in a two-player game, m- money no, is no. harder to come by in a two-player game. And so like you would normally not do that. You would focus more on getting the treasure, which is the money. The other expansion that I wanted to talk about as far as this is concerned is the Animal Companion expansion. So this is a good expansion. Uh, it's only like six cards, but literally it starts you off. It's, you know, Prelude from Terraforming Mars? Yes, absolutely. Yes. It starts you off with extra stuff. It starts you off with a purpose. It starts you off with a goal, and it makes it so that you're already a few turns in, in essence, just because mm-hmm. you're able to get more and more resources after every round. Animal and they're asymmetric cards, I would imagine. That's right. They are. Um, so the Animal Expansion... Animal Companion expansion is just six cards. It's it's good for beginner players, so um, I would recommend using it just because it's it's also nice to jump off the gate. This this game can be quite long, but you can jump out of the gate with these cards. So like you're given a random card at the beginning of the game, and it starts you off with some benefits. And then at any point in time in the game, by the way, you can discard and remove this card from the game in order to gain uh, another action or two that you can take on top of the one action that you take per round. So. I, I think it adds a nice little bit of extra that you can use to, you know, start off on the right foot for the most part. But yeah, those are the two modules I want to talk about. There's plenty okay. of other, there's plenty of other ones. There's the Beagle expansion. There's the Great Ship expansion. There's a promo expansion, uh, where you're able to place there's a, a great sp- Beagle expansion, a great Beagle. I forgot what the other expansion is called. It has an interesting name, but it's one where it like, when you complete a goal, you can put the goal in that spot instead, and it changes out your ship for a more enhanced one, or it changes out one of your movers for a more enhanced one. Uh, I would not play that expansion with the Firewind expansion, because you wouldn't be able to go far with it. But aside from that, that's Darwin's Journey. Uh, uh, I just recently did my top 20, and it is resting currently at number 8 hmm. of, of, of all time. Now, this is one I know whenever it saw it on Kickstarter, I was... I was hovering over that button and I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger. I'm probably going to be hating myself for this, unfortunately, because (laughs) it it does sound like a lot of fun. And also the other thing is one of my all time favorite movies, master and commander far side of the world. They have the whole thing whenever they're down there in the Galapagos, checking out all the stuff. Uh, And it just like, it sounds like with the pirate expansion, it would almost be the same thing as whenever they're looking for the Asheron and things like that. It just sounds like a lot of fun. And I know I could like build that whole scenario in my mind, but that's great to hear about it. It sounds like a lot of fun. I am hopping right in. This this is I'm looking on BGG. This thing's showing 3.8 on the complexity. Now, normally things start getting over 3.5. I start getting a little nervous. I start thinking, oh boy, this is. This is going to be a tough one. It's going to have a, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to crack the box, break out the rule book, and there's going to be 38 pages. <clears throat> John Company. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so adventures, uh, I wanted a copy of John Company and Ryan hunted one down at PAX for me. Uh, made the trade, found one. He got a, got a deal for me, in fact, and, uh, cracked it open, cracked open the rule book, looked at it, and I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Sold it. Glad to say I made a few bucks on it, right? It wasn't a total bust, but, um, I think I'm learning more and more that the more, uh, the more complex, the more involved a game is, the more, let's put it this way. If it's going to take a learning game or two, 
man, those are hard to get to the table because, you know, I'm playing with three different groups maybe once a month. The only person that I play consistently with is Scott. And Scott, we're usually like, okay, we got to do the next one. We got to do yeah. that. Like, we're not getting back to games as much. So talk about the complexity. Darwin's journey. Am I going to be able to figure this thing out in, in like a turn or two, a game or two? What's going on? What's this, bit number five? <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, learning no, curve. Three. Oh, yes, that's right. The learning curve is, uh, yes, you're going to need a full learning game, I think. All right. Yeah. So I did play this with uh, my board game group uh, on Mondays. None of them have ever played it before. I tried to teach it. It was a good 30, 30-ish minute teach. Um, and this mm-hmm. was just the base game. They played it. They did grab it kind of quickly, but I guess that's because we do play a lot of games. However, for sure. anybody who's kind of newish to games, this is, this is not going to be one of those games that you start with. This is going to be a game where as soon as you play quite a few other games by perhaps Simone Luciani or Nestor Mangone, I feel like you would need to play a few more involved games before jumping into this as another game of that caliber. It it does take mm-hmm. a bit of learning. Yeah. It, it There's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of combo making. And so it's like, you have to be good at this kind of puzzle of placing workers to do multiple different things in chain reaction. So uh, it, it's going to take a bit. Let me ask you this too. I'm seeing uh play time 60 to 120 minutes. And I'm guessing there ain't nobody ever finishing this game in one hour. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it to Origins. We can figure that out. Well, I'm glad to hear that you got your Kickstarter in. You're going hog wild with modules and expansions with it. That's awesome. Anything else while we got you in studio? Um, yeah, uh, a bit of board game news, if that's okay. There's uh, been quite uh, an influx of Kickstarters and game founds that have been releasing. And, you know, there there are two main ones that I'd like to talk about, if you guys have the time to listen. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, before I get into the, <laughs> I enjoy it, Ryan. <laughs> Um, all right. But, but before I talk about the game found and the Kickstarter that I had to talk about, um, I just want to make a clarification. Uh, in the last episode I was on, I was talking about Weirdwood Manor. Um, go take yeah. a look at two episodes ago. I think that's episode 91. In there, I did say it was on game found like three times. And then one time I said it was on Kickstarter. I just want to clarify that, uh, I apologize. It is actually fully only in, on Kickstarter. It is not on game found. So, uh, it is still available for being backed. So if you are looking for Weirdwood Manor, it is on Kickstarter. Mm, just- okay. Okay. Now that's a formal apology. Speaking of, you know, hold, hold on. Scott. Yes. Your review or your walkthrough. Okay. So here's, here's the secret. When I was listening to your walkthrough, all I did okay. was I did the, I did the noise reduction for the background noise. And then I just let it play to make sure that like you didn't cough or fart or something. And I'd have to cut it out. Right? Not that that's ever happened, but mm-hmm. I didn't listen very closely to it because I was playing obsession uh-huh. listening to the, yeah. and I was just, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's only three biscuits. There's two goals, three biscuits. Uh, you only need two to stick to you. I understand. Uh, you see, we don't normally do erratas, but uh, as Ryan's doing yeah. a formal apology, I feel like the adventures... Uh, hold on. Let me play some apology music for this. Ready? Here. Dear adventurers, here at the Level Up Board Game Podcast, we value our input into the gaming hobby that we all like to enjoy. There are times that things go awry, and unfortunately, I was part of this. I ask for your forgiveness for whenever I said that there were six biscuits 
in the game of Klask, there are really only three. This is something that I cannot, cannot excuse. And I just really, truly pray for your forgiveness. Thank you, my friends. <laughs> wow, that that came right from the heart. That really did. You, you know what? You're going to make up for it today, too, because you're going to do the walkthrough. Okay. And not to dig the knife even deeper, but you also said that when three biscuits are on oh, your no. side, <laughs> oh, that no. you that you lose the point. However, it is only two. <laughs> Dear adventurers, once again, here on the Level Up Board Game Podcast, we do make accidents from time to time. Please refer to prior incidents, forgiveness, and add two biscuits instead of three. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Ryan, you said you got a Kickstarter and a game found that you wanted to share. Go. All right. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about is in uh, my top five games of all time. They're coming out with a deluxe edition of this game. Board and Dice has come out with Teotihuacan, City of Gods, the deluxe edition. Uh, this one is beautiful, guys. If uh, I don't know if uh, you guys have played it. I know, Scott, that at one point in time on BGA, we were supposed to play a game. I don't know if we yes. actually finished that. Uh, we were still supposed to do some kind of a, a, a learning game. I um, know, I know. And I have the actual copy sitting right next to me here on my shelf. And I haven't gotten it out here lately, but I do want to definitely go back and revisit that. Oh, yes, you definitely should. So like I said, top three game for me. Uh, and this deluxe edition is coming out with a beauty pack. Uh, beauty pack is going to include all sorts of things like a heat printed tokens, beautifully crafted like component bags, upgraded resources, alternate art cards, and a very, very large, gorgeous storage box with an insert for easy setup and teardown. Uh, so you could do all sorts of different pledges for this. You could do it just for the box. You could do it just for the neoprene mats, what they're going to add. You can do it for both. Uh, and there's also going to be a fifth player expansion for this game. I've not, <laughs> I have no idea how a fifth player is going to add to this game, but it's going to be kind of insane. Um, yeah. so go check that out. If you love the game, like I do. Yeah. Go check that out. That one's on Kickstarter and the assignment actually is Kickstarter. And by the time this airs, uh, there will be one week left. So go take a look at that. If you haven't already patrick uh you didn't tell me did you uh did you play teotihuacan before no i was supposed to get in on that game with you guys so i had a copy and i also had dice settlers so i had the special promo and i sold it and then i don't always buy games thinking okay i'm going to play this i will often buy if i think that i can make a few bucks on a game like if somebody's selling it for 20 and i'm like well i can make 30 you know i can sell it for 30 i'll buy it um i've had the game three or four times now and i currently have a copy sitting on the uh sale pile and it's still for sale you if anybody wants a copy of teotihuacan no that's it i would love to play it Uh, i just you know it's on bga i feel like it's it's tailor made we need to take we need to take a night and play that one guys you dirty rotten flipper you (laughs) (laughs) it's what i do that's fair. That's fair. I, if I am saying something like that to you, it's only because I do that myself. <laughs> well, you know what it does for us is it helps, it helps, uh, make the podcast. I even say at the top of all my posts, Hey, all funds are used to help make the level up board game podcast. So like when we're making like a dollar on our shirt or our hats, when we sell them at the meetups, like that's not sustainable. Uh, we have to pay for like 
the email, the website, the podcast hosting. And you know what? Just uh, as a little side hustle, that's what keeps the hobby and the podcast essentially free. And I mean, it's not free. It just it costs time in working and flipping games, which I kind of enjoy. Yeah, as do I. I really do. Which reminds me, Scott, you need to sell your uh, – you have, what, Bruce Lee or Deadpool? Oh, I you know. You sell that thing. It's up yep. to like $140 or something absurd. I know, I know. I, I'm listening to uh, next week. Uh, well, if you're selling your Deadpool, note that I am looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, so the other game that I have is actually on GameFound. So this game that I'm about to talk about is a spiritual successor, and the game that is going over is Endeavor Age of Sail. Uh, mm. This one is Endeavor Deep Sea. Uh, I do remember us seeing it at I believe it was Origins or Gen Con. I'm not sure. It might be both. Uh, but have either of you played Endeavor Age of Sail before? Yes, I have. No, I never got to that one. Okay. Well, uh, essentially in that game, you are gathering supplies in Europe. And eventually, after getting these supplies, you're going to sail out to other continents or regions to colonize them mostly trying to control the routes for points at the end mm-hmm. of the game, but you're also gathering asset cards from each of these regions, and they're building up your attributes and your glory, which is the victory points at the end of the game also. Now, the one other bad thing besides the colonization in this game is the slavery. So there was slavery in this game. You could get slavery asset cards, and they give you a bunch of resources, a bunch of attribute jumps, uh, just for little to no cost. It was very, very cheap to be able to get up so high on these attribute tracks. But the only saving grace I'd say is at the end of the Europe asset cards, there was a card that you get that abolishes slavery. So if you had a slavery card in front of you and that card is picked up, then you lose all of those cards. Every single person who has a slavery card loses all those cards. And they also, in turn, lose all the benefits from the cards. So any attributes that they gain from it, they lose. Any kind of Mm -hmm. points they would have gained from it, they lose. Uh, So that was the only saving grace as far as like this game's like theme is concerned. The GameFound game, uh, Endeavor Age of, uh, sorry, Deep Sea, which is out on GameFound, it does not have colonialism or slavery. It has very, very similar gameplay, though. So uh, at the start of each round, you're gaining a specialist that lets you perform special actions. Uh, you can choose between a lot of different specialists, but you're limited to which ones you can choose based on how much uh, or how far you are on your reputation track. You'll also gain a number of action discs. Now, action discs you're using to you know do your actions, but you only get a certain amount at the beginning of each round based on how far you are on your inspiration track. All right. Uh, the action discs that you get stay on specialists at the end of a round. So the last thing that you do in the preparation phase is you uh, get to pull a number of action discs off of them based on how far you are on your coordination track. So you have to keep an eye on all three of these tracks for the beginning of each round so you can determine what kind of actions you can do. Mm-hmm. Then you'll do the action phase where you'll put your discs on your specialist to do a variety of actions on the main boards. Uh, I think in this one that there are five actions, but the purpose is mostly to increase your attributes on your tracks so that you have better resources ever, uh, at the beginning of the next rounds. And you're also gaining influence on the boards, which provide end game points and conditions. Now, Age of Sail was really fun. I think this one is going to make it much more theme-friendly, uh, a bit simpler maybe, but also it's going to maintain that level of fun. I, I really, really enjoyed the game that I had. This uh, version of the game also has extra stuff. It has missions. So like, you can go on a scenarios. You can have a scenario run where you're going on missions and it has a solo mode. 
I'm going to tell yeah, you guys. Yeah, that's a big thing nowadays. Oh, yeah, very much. I'm going to tell you, I've already backed this one. So it's, like I said, it's currently on GameFound. Uh, the retail version is $60. The deluxe right. version is only $10 more. Uh, hmm. But in that deluxe version for $10 more, you get dual-layered boards. You get game trays inserts for all the components, including an additional tray for each individual player. So that's already separated out for you. You get a fifth player additions. You also get custom wooden pieces instead of standard wooden pieces. I mean... I think the insert alone was worth it, but yeah, uh, just a lot of extra stuff for $10 yeah, more. Yeah, I can't imagine going for not the deluxe. Like, at that point, why even offer the regular version? Just make them all deluxe and make the price. Like, one offering, everybody gets this sweet version. Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, this is going to be on GameFound. Uh, uh, by the time this airs and you hear this for the first time, it's going to have exactly 14 days or two weeks left on it before it is done. But that is uh, yeah, Endeavor Deep Sea. Yeah. I know the original version, I, it was okay. I, it was hit or miss with me, but I did see they're coming out with this, and I am interested in revisiting this little universe here of those games and trying this one out. Uh, but yeah, gentlemen, that does it for me. Um, I hear my wife calling me, and so, you know. Well, yeah, uh, you just went out to take out the trash, and you've been gone for a while. I know. Six, <laughs> as mentioned before, six hours to get here, so now i got to start heading back before the wife takes the car in the morning. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us, Ryan. we got to get on with changes in the top 100. Let's do it, Scott. Okie dokie. You all have a great night, and I will talk to you soon. I thought for sure he would come out while Ryan was here, but he waited till Ryan left. He did. Well, Ryan, Ryan, uh, yeah, no, he did. He did. <laughs> Ryan, let's, uh, Ryan, I just called you Ryan. Yes, you did. Oh, podcasting's hard. Top 100 update. Prime Movers. Lisboa's up two spots to number 56. No debuts in the top 100. No changes in the top 10. So let's talk new highest peaks. Three games are higher than they've ever been. PAX Premier 2nd Edition is up to number 39. Beyond the Sun up to number 86. Ooh. That You know what? It got that expansion. And uh, I can't yeah, find it. Yeah. I don't want to buy it online. I just want to <laughs> get it. Get it in my paws and play it immediately. And Inish is on the board at number 99, higher than it's ever been. Very cool. Happy birthdays, two of them. Food Chain Magnate, seven years. Lords of Waterdeep, 11. Mm, that seems rather fitting that we talked about that one. Yeah, you know what? It kind of does, because when you told me how to play Marvel Age of Heroes, you were like, okay, there's a lot going on here that's kind of like Lords of Waterdeep, but it's it's all kinds of hyped up. You know what? Let's save it for the review. You're yes. on the walkthrough. Okie dokie. I got it. Hey, adventurers. King Scott here. And today on our 8-Bit Breakdown, we're going to be talking about Marvel Age of Heroes, designed by Rodney Thompson, published by WizKids, and released in 2023. Now, first of all, I do want to say that we were given this game from WizKids to review this, so just want to get that out there. Marvel Age of Heroes is a reskinning of the classic Lords of Waterdeep, as it is designed by one of the designers, Rodney Thompson. In the game, you're taking a team of X-Men on missions. Each player will be given a player board and a team of X-Men. Each one has a space to place your acrylic standees, which can be three to six, depending on the number of players. Each team has a starting level for their willpower, mental, and physical attributes. We'll go more into these a little bit later. Next, you will select what adventure you'll be taking on. 
Each one is more difficult and gives you new villains as well as new cards to play to help take on those villains. Each villain is made up of two pieces. One side is the villain giving what their special power is and how many points you get for damaging them. The other part that you can mix and match shows the recipe to do it. Remember the willpower, mental, and physical attributes? Well, here is where you will pay them to damage the villains. Once you have your team, your villains, and your starting hand, it's time to begin. Now, where to go? You look at the board, the board is busy. There's a lot of stuff here. So, a turn in Age of Heroes is split up into three sections. The Institute phase, the Mission phase, and the End of Round phase. During the mission phase, you will choose one of the sections on the top of the board to place your figure. Each section allows you to do something different from playing an ally card, an event, leveling up your characters, get upgrades to your attributes, or the ever important placing a character on the X-Jet to go on a mission. Each time you complete an action that allows you to place an ally, you can place a recruitment marker on that space. Why is that important? Well, each time someone else uses that space, you will get a small bonus, but nevertheless, a bonus. This is a very important part of the game, making sure that you're able to get the best bonuses available to help you out as the game progresses. Once all of your figures have been placed, it is time to go on a mission. This is where you will get the points. The characters that were placed on the X-Jet can now place their figures on allies that will help them defeat the villains. Depending on what recipe you use, you need to deduct that many attributes from your player board. Each attack that you complete will have a point total that you will get for damaging them. Once this is all complete, you clean up the board and start again. This gives you a quick idea of how the game plays because there is so much going on in this game. So, what did we think about this game? Well, I'll give Patrick and let's give the 8-bit breakdown to Marvel. Age of Heroes. Hey, thank you, Scott, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Marvel Age of Heroes, which should probably be X-Men Age of Heroes. I mean, it, they're Marvel, but it was all X-Men. Oh, it most certainly was. Yes, it was. Now, I don't know about you. I got a lot to say about this one. So, Adventures, we're going to do it the way we always do. In the 8-bit breakdown, we go over eight facets of the game, concluding with was it fun and who's it for. Let's kick it off, Scott. Art and components. Art and components. Now, the art in this game is an interesting watercolor palette. It's the kind I hate. <laughs> um, That's a not good start. Because not because it's not nice, but because it looks like it was so simple to do, but there wouldn't be a chance in hell I could do anything like it. And we have to mention the clear acrylic standees. Absolutely. For one, this is an upgrade that is pretty darn cool. The fact that they have a front and back side to them is even more impressive. Now, the iconography can be a little rough to figure out at first, mm -hmm. but once you get that figured out, it doesn't take long to catch on to the game. So that would be one, one thing there that's a little bit difficult. But on the board, you have so many things to go for with and so many places to go. You get used to it quickly. And yeah, I think the artwork and everything that they have on the team cards, the cards to use for the missions, everything like that. Villains, very, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. 
you know what? My hat's off to the artwork. This was my style. I really did enjoy it. Uh, Components were pretty good. The acrylic standees, really nice. Um, Artwork well done. Graphic design I thought was clean and clear. Like I feel like I knew what I was doing after one round of play. It's it's a fine, we'll call the presentation fine. The, like, it's not going to knock your socks off. It doesn't feel deluxe. You know, it's not a mega Kickstarter, but for mm-hmm. what it is, it's very good. I thought it was yes. solid on art and components. So let's move to theme and immersion. Got to tell you, I don't know a whole lot about the X-Men, save from watching a little bit of the old 90s cartoon. And oh, yes. I'm not even sure what generation of X-Men they I know now they go by generations, right? Were they, were they the original? Wolverine, Beast, and Gambit, and that whole gang? Uh, no, no, no. That was kind of in the 90s whenever they re-released X-Men number one that sold buku uh, numbers of copies. Mm-hmm. And it had four different copies, well, five different copies of issue number one, where four of them could be put together to make a big poster. Oh, that's and cool. And one of them you could get with the whole poster on it. That's awesome. So, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's the era that they're going with. They're hitting the 90s hard. Well... Anyhow, Age of Heroes, it does have you gearing up and using the assistance of other X-Men to help take down the baddies in the latter half of the round. I thought it did a good job of capturing that X-Men theme, how you're like working with each other. You got uh, what uh, Professor Xavier, you know, on the back of some of those cards and you're moving your standees around like you get to see all the characters. It feels like a comic book on the board. I liked that. Uh, I like that each character has their own like level up cards, those power up cards that you Mm -hmm. can flip up and start using. Mutation cards. And it makes you feel like, oh, that's what this character would do. I like that. Yeah. Now, with mine, this really hit the point of the X-Men I really enjoyed. This was in the 90s. This was the era of every pair of pants that everyone had had an infinite number of pockets and pouches, guns that were not physically possible to carry, just absolutely over the top the villains in it everything is really good but the theme in the immersion of this i have a problem with this oh now the theme is that you're gathering your x-men together to fight different villains sure the problem is that i want to make a very thematic game whenever i'm playing this but oftentimes that won't win you the game so i guess you can say i get a little too immersed in it The planning stage of getting characters out in order to help you get the characters out you need on missions does work quite well here whenever you're playing it. So uh, whenever you're trying to get a team together, you take a look at it. Well, I need to get a whole bunch of Generation X cards out, or I need to get new X-Men outs or different things like that because they... They've had all sorts of different uncanny X-Men, new X-Men, extreme X-Men. Canny X-Men. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) If you play against someone who's really in to get the points you're not going to be able to really play a thematic game you're still uh, butthurt because so, tom trounced you oh uh, tom just broke the game <laughs> okay let's just move on here let's go to complexity uh, bit number three before we do can i just point out that logan is the best of the comic book movies period end of uh, end of discussion it's logan okay I'm, closely followed wh- by joker what whatever helps you sleep at night fight me jeez complexity you got the floor i think this one actually does rate a little higher in the complexity scale the engine building is very important part of this game yeah being able to get the bonuses based upon what you play and others will play in the future make it a little more complicated than your average game 
like I said, you want to make sure that you have teams going out. You want to take a look at the iconography, like I said, and you want to play cards in those places so that you have a recruitment bonus. So if someone goes to that space later on, you're going to get a bonus back from that. Right, right. So you want to kind of figure out and read the room and see what people want to do and try and get there before the other ones do. Yeah, there's there's a lot of moving parts in this one. Uh, you've got different mm-hmm. character combos that you depending oh, on yes. who you're playing as and different ways to level them up, different orders in which the, you can opt for those level up cards. Um, the options for cards being added, like adding a worker placement spot whenever a hero gets put down that oftentimes they'll have two different options on them to be used, like two mm-hmm. different spaces. Think like Lords of Waterdeep when you add new buildings. This is similar with players putting cards out onto that main board, which I didn't point out is huge. Mm-hmm. I agree it's on the upper side. Like it's it's upper midweight. I, I still think it's midweight, but it, you know it's not a heavy game. But it is, you know, when I think squarely in the middle, no, nah, this is definitely leaning a little bit heavier. Lots of moving parts going on. There are a handful of icons. There's a lot to keep track of. Like, you know, if you're keeping an eye on what you're able to do well, well, that has to transfer into how am I going to hit the bad guys, right? Each of those right. baddies have like slots, basically. Like, okay, they need to get hit like one, two, three, four, five different ways. And the ways are basically recipes. You use, uh, what was it, like your might, your your intelligence, the, the three different uh, uh, statistics that you're building up on your yes. player board. And you just tick them down and say, okay, yeah, I, I battled him and, and I took him out here. So you put one of your markers there, you get some points or a benefit whenever that guy's dead. Really cool. It's a lot to keep track of. A lot yeah, going it on. It definitely is, yeah. But uh, I think that with your player boards that helps kind of condense things that you need to keep track of. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the main board, there's so much to keep track of though. Fortunately, as we move into bit number four, rulebook and learning curve, I'm going to pin you with the rulebook because that was on you. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. the learning curve is not that bad. Surprising. Now, now we're gamers and we were, we were playing with gamers. I think you've only ever had it out, you know, with people that do a good bit of gaming, but two turns in, I feel like I got it. I know Everything there is to know. I don't grasp it yet. I don't have a strategy, but like I at least understand what I'm doing here and how to do it. That's the biggie. Oh, wait a minute. How do I fight a baddie? Oh, I, I see right there. I need these points. Uh, how do I get those points? Oh, I level them up from here. And that means I got to place my worker there, which means I need to play this card. You know what I mean? It's really easy mm-hmm. to understand how to play in this game. There's just a lot of things to keep track of to do it well. What do you think? Rulebook learning curve. You got to cover the rulebook. Yeah, the rule book, it is nicely done. There are some things that are a little difficult to find a direct answer for, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that looking further into it and reading up on it, I'm going to get things straightened out. But for the most part, it, it is very simple. You go from the start to the end, each thing that comes up that, oh, this is the mission round. Oh, let's look at the mission round. Boom. There's all the stuff that you need to know for that round right there. Mm-hmm. So it goes through and explains things in, in a very uni- uh, very concise way. Lots of photos in there, lots of examples as to what you're looking for, what to do at different times. So I think that the rule book is really well put out. 20 pages. The back page is your summary where it goes through the institute phase, the mission phase, end of round gives you all the iconography on the back of it. So really helps you out there. Mm -hmm. So bit number five, the meat of the game. I know that this is one that you really get into. So I'm going to jump in first (gasps) before you go on your big one. So 
Mine, the meat of the game, is the engine building. That is the biggest thing there for me. Being able to play a card on a spot that people are going to want to go on later on so you can place your recruitment token there and reap the benefits early on. Mm -hmm. You want to take a look at things where where they have the cards where you can put out the character cards in the Institute phase. So that's an important thing at the beginning of the game. If you can get those in prime places, you're going to be reaping the benefits turn after turn after turn after turn. So it's really important to take a look at the board, kind of get this run through in your mind as to what path you want to take and go through it. So that is the biggest thing is looking at what kind of engine you want to build. What did you think was the meat of the game of this one? Well, there, it's in a few places. Uh, certainly the engine building. I, I think that's probably number one. I feel like you have to abuse your character abilities, like your asymmetric abilities. Yes. I had, um, I think I had Gambit and Rogue. Gambit and Rogue yeah. were the team. Wolverines with it. Well, we don't have to go over who all the teams are. But the level up cards that, so what What they are, those, those mutations, you start yes. with two generic characters, but you have, I had Gambit and Rogue specific mutations. I'll, I'll explain what Rogues did was one of them you had to do last. It was like, you cannot do this unless it's at least your third or later mutation. It can't be mm-hmm. your first one or two. But what Rogue's trying to do is uh, you unlock one power that says, you know what, at the end of the round, you get to put little plus ones on the board so that whoever goes to that spot gets a plus one. Okay, so I can I can put that somewhere where I think only I'm going to go. I'll get the plus one. I'll get the thing that I need more so than other people. Her mm-hmm. second ability is anytime you collect one of these, you get another bonus. And so, oh, okay. So you're trying to like really, really work your character. I like that. There's a lot of meat there. Finding the best spots on that main board are important as with any worker placement game. But I love that there's there's probably eight spots to begin with. And eight or ten more are going to be added throughout the game with all those card slots where people are playing yes. new guys. And some of them will have two different options. Like there will come a point where, and this happens in a lot of worker placement games, where as the game progresses, there comes a point where you can look at some of those early spots and say, well, yeah, no, I'd, I'll basically never go there again. So it doesn't get overcomplicated in that you can shut down some spots in your brain because they're just not as powerful as other ones that are available. But I mm-hmm. love that. I love that you have so many options. That that tree, you know, I always like to say that the decision tree has a lot of branches. And boy, does it here. I love that. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Bit number six, we talk replayability and variability. And holy crap, it's all over the place on account. <laughs> Never mind that you can switch the bad guys and switch your characters. The fact that the options that you have on the board are based on player cards, you are never going to play like it's impossible. I th- it, mathematically, it's got to be impossible to play this. It, uh, obviously, it's possible. <laughs> You'd have to play it a billion times to ever see yes. the same setup. Yeah, I I look at this and I'm like, wow, there is a lot of replayability. Each time you play, you want to try a different strategy and see how it works. You really want to prove on your score from the time before. Mm-hmm. Variability, yes. You have three different scenarios in this. So you have Children of the Atom, Fatal Attractions, and you have Follow the Mutants. So if you follow comics, you know exactly what those are. From that, there are 34 villains that you can play in this game. Now then, there are eight different villain tiles to attach to the villain in order to change up the scenario. So the villain tiles 
you have the main villain, and then you have the villain tiles, which show where you need to damage them. Right. They come apart in two different pieces. So in the first one, you may play two regular villains. Then it goes to, um, uh, I forget what they call it. Uh, um, we'll call him a mini boss. Yeah, it goes to the mini boss. Then you have that, which might go up to about seven different ways, eight different ways you need to uh, damage them. Yeah, they need then to you a go lot more. to the main boss. Now, the main boss, even in the first Children of the Atom, you have four different ones to choose from, mm-hmm. which you only choose one. So you've got three different ways to play it, plus the different things you're going to clip onto them. It's just so, so many different ways to play this. Oh, yeah. The game's never going to be the same. It's going to be easy to come back to this one repeatedly and get a different game. But there's one holdup for me, and that is my one. I could only come up with one downside. Bit number seven? Well, one thing one thing I need to just clip in here real quick on number six for the variability. Clip it in. Whenever I said that you have the three different chapters that you play, that deck of cards that you have with the characters and mm-hmm. the mission cards and everything, you add different parts to that depending on what chapter you're playing. Different options, so there are, yeah. There are different cards that go in for different storylines. So even that changes up the game. Mm-hmm. Well, so you were going on to number seven downsides. Yeah. Let's hear what you got. I have one, Scott. It's okay. too long. It is mm. too long. Now, you know I like me a long game, uh, but this one is too long for what it is. BGG calls it an hour to an hour and a half, but dude, uh, that one four-player game we were playing at the meetup, uh, we were mm-hmm. very quickly approaching three hours. Yeah, yeah. It might be taking out like one of the four adversaries and fighting just three or setting up the game to fight only two. I feel like that would be plenty. You get through two and like you're bored. Uh, eventually, it's going to fill out with all the uh, the unique characters and the exciting things that you're doing, changing the play and making it more unique and leveling up your guys. That runs out. And you still mm-hmm. have two adversaries to fight, meaning that it starts to feel a little bit repetitive and you're just churning out actions to end the game. Um, right. To me, that uh, will say it overstayed its welcome for me. If, I, if I'm if i playing this, I'm just using three of the adversaries instead of all four, which hopefully doesn't break the game. It's still competitive. I don't need that last 40 minutes of doing a lot of the same things. Right. And my downsides are very similar to that in that once you have the mission was fill out, you're kind of stuck in that one thing that you can do to defeat the villains that you're up against. Mm-hmm. Now, I've gone through the, the rule book. There may be something I missed. I've read through it quite a few times. It, it almost seems like if you could clear that out and put new ones in, I don't know if that's Even possible. Even if it was a placement spot, like you have to pay double to put your card down. Something to like, oh, I'm going to yeah. switch this one out and get this person in on the team. Something just to just to switch it up a little bit or give you that well, option. That way you don't have cards that feel dead in your hand. Well, this is definitely one I want to revisit because I did get an email from WizKids. Mm-hmm. Now, I must say here as well, too, that we were uh, supplied this game from WizKids. Thank you very, very much for this. I did get an email from them giving me other options in how to play the game. Oh, okay, okay. So I haven't opened that up and gone into it yet, but I'm very interested in digging into that, seeing what the alternate ways of playing this game are, because... Yeah, this is definitely one I'm going to be playing for quite some time. 
So was it fun and who's it for? Bit number eight, bringing it on home. You're going to be playing it for quite some time. I take it you like this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is definitely for fans of Lords of Waterdeep. A very similar play style will make this an easy entry for them to get started. As far as newer players, I don't think this is one that they will enjoy the first play, though. Going through all the icons that you have to do, playing through there, making sure you have the engines built up and everything. There's a lot to put into this game to mm -hmm. really enjoy it. It's a difficult game to just, play well. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So I think that it's one that newer players, I don't think it's going to be one that they'll get it, uh, they'll enjoy playing. But more advanced players, oh yeah, definitely. Experienced gamers, get this to your table. It's really, really a great game. Yeah, I thought it was a fun game too. The uh, first time I played it, uh, 30 minutes in, I was like, this game is amazing. I was like, oh, how, yeah, how much yeah. is you this thing going to cost? Because yeah. I need to own this. <laughs> An hour and a half in? I was ready for it to be over. So like the first half of the game is a 10 out of 10. It's amazing. The second half of the game, it's like a three. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's that's the best way that I can. Okay. So I guess if we put them together, we get a like a six and a half or something. Um, it's sort of overstated. It's welcome to uh, for me. And for that reason, I'm going to continue to play it. I really, really love it. But I'm going to play it with two or three adversaries. So I can still get the experience. I still get to level up my guys. I still get to do a lot without ever hitting the point where I feel like I'm it's getting repetitive or I'm just churning actions, you know, playing the game is the means to the end at this point. We've already done the cool things. Uh, who knows? And maybe that's only in the couple plays that I've done. Who's it for? I agree with you. I said, it's a lot like Lords of Waterdeep, obviously the X-Men theme, various extra actions. Instead of missions, ultimately you're trying to fulfill the requirement for defeating the main enemies. So it's kind of similar in that instead of getting a whole bunch of those little cubes in, in Waterdeep, you're leveling up your different attributes on your board to use them that way mm -hmm. in Marvel Age of Heroes. If you like worker placement, if you think this theme's appealing, you like the X-Men, I think you're going to be happy with Marvel Age of Heroes. We'll definitely have to revisit this once I get the alternate rules out here. I'll be very and give curious. It another try. Yeah, yeah, I'll be very curious. Uh, may maybe an update in a recent play in the near future. Sounds good. For an age, the tower lay in ruins. Unbeknownst to the people of the realm, a great evil stirred in its bowels. It started with a strange sighting, a flock of crows flying in circles until they dropped from the sky. The lake, frozen solid in the height of summer. In time, they could not deny that which they feared most. The evil had not been vanquished. The darkness would soon fall again. The tower will rise. Thank you. Yes, chilling, chilling. Scott, it's been <laughs> years since we talked about Return to Dark Tower. This one's a fun one. This one's uh, <clears throat> Restoration Games put this one out. This is the old 80s game. Every now and then you'll still see people trying to sell like bits and pieces for an original copy and mm -hmm. piece it together. But Restoration Games did what they did. They made Return to Dark Tower with that giant tower in the middle and the big circular board. Four characters running around, completing missions and whatnot. I got to tell you, I loved this game. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our, our uh, playing of it. I know I had a little bit of a nitpicky there as far as the main uh, monsters you're going against just being the tokens. It was hard to pick them out on the board. I didn't get but the yeah. deluxe version. 
No, 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 no. I'm not. That's upgradable. I, it's you can all get minis. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was one of those games. I had a great time playing it, and I love the fact that you're building up armies. You aren't just like yeah, you building said yourself this every up. time. You really were thrilled with that. Yes, I love the idea of that because it was really building the world that this was in. It wasn't just like I'm gonna just keep pumping myself up here till I can beat the bad guy by myself. Mm-hmm. No, you have to recruit all these soldiers and build an army and get the biggest army you can and go and attack it because yeah, they're gonna die left and right as they go, but you still have to fight through. Really, really enjoyed it, and and it's one that's definitely on the back of my head that I still want to go back and play it. it. I don't know. I might have to get a copy myself sometime. You know what? I like that while you do have a grandiose goal, there's there's like mini games inside. I love. Okay, uh, the game the game requires a companion app. Yeah. But using that companion app, it lets you do some really neat things. Whenever you go explore a dungeon, yes, this is Return to Dark Tower. This is a board game, but you can explore a dungeon. There's a little dungeon delve. You actually can go in it, and you click on the app. You say, we're in this dungeon, and you can move up, left, right, and it's simple. You just have to sacrifice attributes or guys, you know, whenever you run into mm-hmm. certain things, but you're looking for an objective while you're in there, sometimes a fight, a treasure, that sort of thing. They've got all those, like, the special cards where you can find like the one dude's gold or upgraded weapons for your characters. I think it's fantastic because it's so easy to approach. It is, it's so easy to teach. I mean, the game is not a difficult game to learn and to teach and immediately players are immersed. You got that tower making the sounds and you know, the, the, the the swirling wind sounds and the growls and whatnot, and their sides lighting up and you're pulling pieces off and there's glitch and then it's rotating. I mean, oh, it's so easy to get just immersed in the world of this game while you're playing uh, mm-hmm. and couple that with the fact that because some people are doing different things, like it is a co-op game, but I'm in the dungeon right now, not you. You can't quarterback me. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm doing. You still have the table talk. And yes, somebody can still say, look, guys, here's what we need to do if we're going to have a a good chance. But you still feel like you're your own character. Oh, I could go on and on. I I thought one of my favorite games that we reviewed last year, both of us put it really high in the at the end of year recap. Oh, yes, yes. I think that even though it is a companion app, I think that it adds so much with controlling the tower and what can possibly happen with that tower. That's such an important part of this game. Mm Got to have it. Mm -hmm. One year later, I think we're both giving a very, very strong recommend to return to Dark Tower. Most definitely. Did we miss our cue to say return to return to Dark Tower? Well, you got it now. Well, no discussion in the back half of the episode. This is a quick one, and this was easy. We should, we should do less more often, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> do less to do more. Let's finish it the way we always do with how we leveled up since last episode. What you got, King? Well, today I went back in the Wayback Machine, and I went to a little event going on in the Pittsburgh area, Toy Palooza. Oh. And this is like a pop culture uh, collectibles type of thing. And it was just so much fun going there and walking up and down the aisles and seeing all these things from whenever I grew up, mm-hmm. all these different toys and stuff, all these transformers, uh, some of these old, like, uh, like small lines that you like, you would blink and you missed them. I know I talked with you and Will about Captain Power the one time. Oh yeah. They, they had te- some of the, they had Captain Power. 
Oh, they had Captain Power. They had Starcom with the magnetic ships. They had air raiders, these things that you would like punch a, a, a an air pump so they could fly across the floor. All these great things that I remember as a kid. No, 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 wait, just a minute, wait a minute, wait so a minute, wait a minute. I have seen in the books, when you were a kid, they had like that hoop that you would push down the road with a stick, right? Wasn't that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was being I'm sorry. nice here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's not that much of an age difference here. That sounds so cool. Toya Palooza. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time there going through and, and checking all that stuff out there. So it was it was a lot of fun reminiscing about all the great toys we had as a kid. That's fantastic. Did they was it like for most generations, like if I went, would they have like late 80s, early 90s? Oh, stuff? yeah. Okay. There's cool. a lot of uh, turtle stuff there. Oh, There's yeah. a, a, someone actually had a G.I. Joe USS flag oh. there. All the parts, nothing broken on it. $4,500 they went Holy for crap. I was going to say, are things for sale? Is this like for vendors? So it is like oh, you yes, can buy yes. this stuff. Oh, did they have a Saxaboom? No, they did not. <laughs> they did not have a Saxaboom. Yeah, adventures. We uh, we've been on the lookout. If you or someone you know has a saxaboom, for <laughs> for for reasons. <laughs> okay, well, how'd you level up? It happened, Scott. I oh? finally reached uh, number one ELO ranking in obsession. 500-some games in now. I'm an elder statesman of the game or whatever badge it is. Uh, And, man, the the lunar alignment happened. I was like, okay, I won a game. I'm 20 points behind those two guys, and they both lost games. Like, you can tell when when they lose. Oh, they were at a 570. Now they're at a a 555 or whatever. And, uh, yeah, pass them. And uh, for a a very brief moment, it was only about a 14-hour period until I promptly logged back in, played five more games, and lost three of them and plummeted like crazy. Uh, I'm back in a second now. But, you know, the goal of uh, getting that ELO1 ranking, it happened. It happened. So for a a small moment in time, I like to think I was the best player in the world at at a board. (laughs) I even told the girls at work, I was like, so there's this board game about Victorian London. And you have to host parties. And right now I'm ranked number one. Pick up tips from Patrick. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they nearly fell out of their chair. <laughs> no one started fanning herself off with her hand. <laughs> Go over. <laughs> Scott, this has been fun as always, man. Uh, uh, let's do this. Yeah, I'll take the last word. I, You can have the last word, but I got to do my thing. Okay. Adventures, if you have not yet, go back and listen to Cities of Venus, our side quest last week where we had James on with us. And stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have Archmage Andrew, a voice we haven't heard from a while. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking Star Wars Outer Rim with the expansion. I'm juiced for it. You may now have your last word. Dance as if no one were watching, sing as if no one were listening, and live every day as if it were your last. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, 
always do what you can to level up.